please join me. Uh, next, we're going to go to Scripture and read from the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but so much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of worship and this time in community. Um, God, we do lift up Lily and the whole Castro family and pray that you'd be near to them in this time, that you'd comfort them as they mourn, and pray that the community would come around them and love them. Pray this morning as we listen to Brian's words that they would be an encouragement and that we would be able to leave here with joy, Jesus, knowing what you've done, knowing your power, and knowing that your Holy Spirit is available for us and that we can live in light and truth and power. Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, just invite you to uh, stay in Philippians and we'll spend our, um, our morning there together in Philippians chapter 2. Last Sunday, we spend our time looking at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And to just be as brief as I can and summarize that, Paul tells us that we are to work out into our life, into every area of our life, the salvation that God has worked in. So Paul reminds us that God is the one who initiates salvation. He's the one who initiates um, repentance and faith in our lives, but it is our job, our role to work it out. This morning, um, he has a second part to that, a more specific part of that, and it's very clear and very simple, but it gives us a lot to think about, and that is this. His second command is that we are to do all things in life without complaining or grumbling. And I've been thinking about that, obviously, uh, most of the week. And I at first thought, you know, I'm not an overly complaining person, or at least I don't want to be. I don't think of myself. And I started thinking about people in my life. And, and I actually feel like I have several people in my life that are close friends that aren't by nature complainers. And then I said, okay, well, let me just try to be a little bit more honest with myself and detach a little bit from myself. And complaining is a part of who we are more than we want to be honest um, about with our own lives, all right? So I, I even thought about, well, can I even give an example this morning in my life without being a, compl- a complainer? So I'll give you one, but I've already kind of tried to repent and pray and, and <laughs> confess before God, and it just even happened this morning. It just comes. So here is Paul's command for us. Work out the beautiful salvation that God has done in your heart. 
have it come out into your life. And then he gives a very specific thing, do a life without complaining. So that's what I've been thinking about all week. And then I show up this morning early to the church property, and the person who is responsible for cleaning our bathroom every week keeps driving over the same spot where it's wet, and it just makes this huge mess. And I'm thinking, why do you keep going in the same place? And I start, here's a wet spot, here's a dry spot. Try the dry spot, not the wet spot. Every time over and over and over again, why do you do that? Asking the boys to help run the house. Complaining is endemic within our lives. And I started thinking about husbands and wives and how we view our spouses and how often we complain about them. Complaining about things we just went through uh, in the last few weeks and months with a fire. Complaining, 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 complaining. Some people feel it's their job or their role, their responsibility to point out mistakes or problems or faults. I read a, a sermon this week by a pastor named Kent Hughes who's written many books. And he said he actually had a woman approach him and said, it is my gift to be a critical analysis of your church, to do consistent analysis and find mistakes. And he said, well... That's not all that helpful, right? <laughs> I started thinking about this, you know, more and more, and, and what is it really about? Is there anything um, more, um, more, is there more depth to this topic of complaining and what's really going on? And I think, I think it's more serious than we think. So here's my hope this morning is to persuade you that this simple, clear command to stop complaining actually has more significance and more meaning to it than you first might think. So here's what he says. There are two words that he uses. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All right, so number one, let's just explore these words for just a minute. Number one, grumbling. That is unbalanced criticism, right? There can be a healthy place where you can um, look at a situation and, and, and offer some analysis, but here's what the word means. Unbalanced criticism, selfish complaining over small matters, a grudging attitude that's unwilling to help, impatient words, complaining. And then the second word is disputing, which is more of an inward attitude that corresponds with negative words, negative speech. So, Paul says this, that we are to be people who live as citizens of heaven, that there is a calling on our lives, that there are, um, there are expectations to live lives as worthy of the gospel. So, to follow Paul's flow of thought, chapter 1, verse 27 says this in the English Standard Version, let your life only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. Another translation says you are to live as citizens of heaven. That there is a calling on our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, there's a calling on your life to live a certain way. And Paul makes this connection with complaining, being negative, being grumpy, identifying problems. 
I had a, you know, one of the things that I, I hear occasionally is, is things like this. It's my job, people tell me this, it's my job just to be brutally honest. Nope, I, I'm the person who's gonna say the thing that everyone else is thinking, but no one has the guts to say. And what happens though, what comes out of the mouth most of the time? Negative, critical, fault-finding comments. And so let's, let's explore this a little bit. Verse 14 says, do all things without grumbling and dis- or dispute. So where does this come from? Paul is saying this, that this church, this community of believers in Philippi is a representation of the Exodus. And so he's drawing on language here from the book of Exodus and from the book of Numbers. And so what we'll do is we're going to look at Numbers chapter 11, and I'm going to try to expand on this idea of complaining and what that looks like. So if you are a complainer by nature, and some of us are, let's just start here. Let's detach from our lives for a little bit. Some of you by nature are positive people. You're outgoing people. You're fun people. And some of us by nature are a little bit more negative, critical, and and all of us fit somewhere in there. But there's things that are worth learning that are related to our heart. So Numbers chapter 11, right? The context is this. The Israelites have been freed from Egypt. They've been slaves in Egypt. Now, if you have to remember that in Egypt, it was a brutal time. In fact, it was so brutal, it was so violent, that the Pharaoh calls for the murder. Do you remember the murder of baby boys? And they enslaved the Israelites and and beat them, and they're brutal to them. They've been rescued, they've been set free, and now here's what happens. This is uh, Numbers chapter 11. We're just going to kind of uh, work our way through the beginning part of it. So it says this. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. Then the foreign rabble, that was the group of people that were living in Egypt with them that departed with the, the Israelites. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. We had all of the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. So God had supernaturally provided for them with this manna, and they start with this grumbling and complaining. So let's just ask just some, some questions about this about complaining and negativity. By the way, I worked really hard to not change the tone of my voice when I gave my example about the cleaning because here's what happens with the complaining. You really feel like you're right and your voice can change, the tone of your voice can change and you feel right and you're justified. And some of you are sitting there thinking, you have no idea what my husband's like. He deserves to be criticized and complained against. You have no idea what my wife is like. You have no idea what my children are like. You have no idea what my my job is like. You have no idea what my employees are like. You have no idea. It just goes on and on. All right, so here's what we can learn. Number one is this. We complain when life gets hard. You are more prone to negativity and complaining when life doesn't go your way. Fault finding comes to the surface. And here, and I don't have to say this, but just reminding you, life 
will always have times where it's hard. And for some of you, it's been consistently hard for, for a while, for different things, whether it's family, health, employment, the fire, all these different kinds of things that happen in life. And you need to be aware, this is a reminder for us, that when life gets hard, you tend to complain. 15 years as a middle school teacher is, uh, I believe, equal to a PhD in psychology <laughs> because you learn as much about human nature as a, as a PhD program. If you assign homework to eighth graders and it's more than they want to do, what do they do? They all complain on and on and they start making justifications. Do you know what the math teacher did? Do you know what the English teacher did? And we just start, so when life gets hard, Whatever you're facing right now, think about for a moment, whatever challenges you might have, as soon as something doesn't go the way we want, we're tempted to complain. All right, that's number one. Number two, the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt and the people of Israel also began to complain. Number two, complaining is contagious. We love to find someone to listen to our complaining. It's just, it's just fun. It's just easy. It, nobody says, hey, you know what? You're being a negative, Nancy. Stop complaining and let's just change it. No, we just dive in. We like it. I was sitting in San Francisco airport a few months ago, just sitting, waiting for a plane, and the f two flight attendants came and sat next to me. And they started complaining about the airlines. And it, it, was, it was just light to moderate complaining. Two more show up. <laughs> wow, this is good. Yeah. Now I'm going to complain about the boss. Whoever was doing this, it, was, it, was, it started with the airlines. And then I, could, I was just, I heard everything. It started with the person who did the scheduling. And then two more came. And it just, look, it just snowballs. It's what we do. It's contagious, and it's nasty, and it's dark, and it's, here's the thing about complaining. We feel so right, and it feels so good, but you're committing, you're committing suicide against your soul. You're hurting your soul. You're destroying your soul. You're, you're, taking, you're taking swords out against your soul. And I'm going to show you even more that God takes this so seriously because, not because he's like, you're a bad people, because you're doing self-destructive things. And if you have been around, I know many of you have studied and, and talk a lot about addictions. Complaining is an addiction to many people. And life, listen, for some people too, life is just always hard. You're like, you're like, just, it's always hard. Just... Oh, there's always something that's just always hard. And then you're always looking for someone to listen to your complaining. So, number one, we complain easily when life gets hard. And I know everyone's going through some form of challenge. Number two, it's contagious. We just want somebody to be like, yeah, you're right, and those people are bad. <laughs> that, that guy who drove the truck and tore up the driveway, he's a bad person. I want somebody to like be on my side to affirm me. 
think about how we do that with people we love. We do that with our employment, with our friends, with our family. It's very harmful. It's contagious. Number three, complaining comes from a deceived heart. We can trick ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. That's what sin does. Sin is self-deceiving. We deceive ourselves into thinking that complaining will help. Complaining does not help. We self-deceive. Look, remember, um, 80 years ago or so, the Egyptian pharaoh orders the murder of baby boys. The Egyptian pharaoh orders the beating. And the Bible talks about how he increased the intensity of the slave labor. And what do they remember? We remember fish that we used to eat for free. You're like, what? Like they just murdered, they just murdered baby boys. And we had all these great things. That's not what happened. They were whipped and beaten and they were treated unfairly. But it feels so good to complain. It reveals something. And here's, here's why God takes us so seriously. Is complaining reveals what kingdom you stand for. And if you stand for a kingdom of self and someone mistreats you or life gets hard, you're going to complain And you're going to find somebody to partner with in that complaining. And then it's going to feel good because you're winning. Because you're standing up for a kingdom of you. And the more people you get on your team for the kingdom of you, the better you feel. And so what it reveals is this. Is you're not living for the kingdom of God. You're living for the kingdom of self. You're living for the kingdom of you. And so when you say things like, I need to be brutally honest, I need, to, I need to be the one who speaks up and says what everyone else is thinking. No, you don't. Why? So you can build a kingdom of you and get more people on your team. Paul writes this, not as a way, as I, I said this last Sunday, that Paul's not writing this letter to confront. There's no big drama. There's no big negative problems. Paul loves this community of believers in Philippi and there's a friendship, there's a back and forth friendship where they love one another and Paul's reminding them, saying if, if you start going down this road of being negative and critical and complaining, it reveals what's actually going on in your heart. And so I don't know what's going on in everyone's life this morning, but you can self-reflect. You can try to detach and look at your life. You can evaluate your life this coming week and how much negative talk, how much complaining goes out of your talk. And I know this, that you will self-justify. You will feel like, no, I really, really believe that this person is wrong and he's bad and he deserves complaining against. But just remember this. It comes from a deceitful heart that you can deceive yourself, that you can mislead yourself into thinking that. So Paul says, do all things... Now, that's just about one of the worst words we could have there, right? Because it, it, if he said do most things, that's great. Like, I can, I can accept that. But all things without, here's what happens. We don't, it's easier. And I, I started thinking about why do I complain in my own life? 
you know, one reason why, as I said earlier, it's a kingdom of me, but it's also easy. It's the easiest thing. It's lazy and it's easy to complain. Instead of dealing, maybe there's a legitimate problem you need to deal with. It's far easier to complain and not address the issue. So let me just show you in the context here, in, in Paul's flow of thought, maybe even some more specifics about what he's talking about. So again, chapter one, verse 27 says this, live as citizens of heaven. There's a calling upon your life. And then in chapter two, and I think we have this chapter two, verse three and four, he says this. Do we have the Philippians one? Philippians two, three through four says this. Um, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So this is where we'll start pressing in more details. Without complaining, this is impossible. Without complaining, count others more significant than yourself. Value other people more important than yourself without complaining. So what we, what seems more palatable to us is I can do that. I can count you as really important as long as I can complain about you to, to another friend. As long as I have my opportunity to voice my disgruntledness with somebody else, I can let you have your way. Paul says that's not the calling that we have upon our lives. Consider others more important than yourself without complaining. Verse four. Look to the interests of others without complaining. Paul's giving us specific examples of family life, of church life, of community life, of how we do life together. Paul writes um, a couple verses later talking about the life of Christ and he says that Christ came to be a servant So we could also say in this context that we are to be servants without complaining. Be humble people, look to the interests of others, be willing to serve and take initiative and look how you can help without complaining. This is a great thing for you to think about and apply where you work, in your family, have a family conversation, in your dorm room, in your classroom. This happens... This happens occasionally, and, and let me just use the example of school for a moment. One or two people think the teacher's unfair, and they start talking to their kids, and then, and I think this, this happens in schools all the time. In fact, this, maybe this is a Southern California, Malibu area thing where we, where we live, where the teacher, the kids start complaining, and they start complaining to their parents, and they're like, let's get the teacher fired, because he's a bad person, right? And it just continues. And all I can say to that is, you're deceiving yourself. There is self-deception in your heart going on. Paul takes it so serious because it's representing a kingdom of you instead of a kingdom of God. So number one in our our outline is that we are to do life without complaining. Why? Because we are to work work out our salvation. We are to make it a part of every part of our life. Number two then, like, why do we do that? And that is, um, verse 15 says this. 
He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine. And so now Paul is saying this. Why? Why does this matter so much? It's because your life is to be a contrast. That there is to be something different about Jesus' followers. That our lives will be a contrast to people in the world. What, is, what does Paul mean by a crooked generation? Um, I read this week um, just a little tiny bit from uh, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, the Danish philosopher. He wrote a book called Sickness Unto Death. And here's how he defined sin this way. Soren Kierkegaard said this, that sin is building your identity or your self-worth, your personal happiness on anything other than God. We, we would benefit from moving away from defining sin as just breaking some rule or some, um, some ethic and making it more deep and having it go to issues of the heart. And I believe he touches on this. Sin is turning good things into ultimate things. How does, how does sex or money or power, these things that the Bible would say are good and beautiful and have a place, how can they be turned into sin? Any of those can easily be turned into sin when they take the place of God in your life. When they become more important, when that thing defines your life, when it defines your identity, when it defines your security, your happiness, that's where things begin to unravel. So Paul is saying this. Listen, believers, you're living in a world where people value things like sex, money, power, whatever it is, more important than God. That's what a crooked generation is. People living who value things more than God. And so he's saying this. If you are a Jesus follower and you value Jesus more than anything else, your life will be different. There will be a contrast and he says this, that we are to live as lights, shining. I was driving home uh, earlier this week from a basketball game, and it was, um, it was dark, I don't know, it was 8 o'clock at night or so, and I was, there's a stretch from County Line to Leo area where I th they're still working on uh, the power poles, and, and it's, it's super dark. So we're driving, and I said to the boys, like, Maybe one of them, I don't remember who was in the car. I said, let's just turn off the light for, like, for one second, like as fast as I can as we're driving. And, and so I did it. And, and uh, I was, it, it like spooked me more than I thought. Like, it's, I mean, it's fat, like on off as fast as you can. That's how fast. So it was like a half a second. But the, we were all like, whoa, pure darkness. Driving at 60 miles, I wasn't very smart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I thought, and I was thought about this passage this week. Here, here's, here's why we're not to complain. Another reason. Living in darkness is without hope. It's scary. It's hard. And there are people that we know and love that are living in darkness. Not because they're bad people. It's because they've taken something that God has created as good and, and had that thing take the place of God in their lives. We have hope. 
And if you are living as a Christian, a follower of Christ, and all you do is complain and moan about life, you're not living the way God has called us to live. He says this, that you can live a life that is blameless, that's, that's beautiful, you're a child of God, you're innocent, without blemish, and he connects it to something that's, if we're not careful, a part of our everyday life, that we're just complainers, that we're just negative. So, Paul says this, live your life without complaining. There's something more valuable for you to live with than your own kingdom. And if you live for a kingdom of self, you'll be tempted to be a negative complainer all the time. Why? Because we are called to be light in the world, that we are called to be blameless. And then he says, he finishes with this. Well, how do we do this? Verse 16 says this. He says that we are to hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast. And most commentators view that as the gospel, as the good news of Christ. And, and, and some view it as the totality of scripture. But what it does is this, is it reminds us of what we're living for. Hold fast, hold strong. Don't let go of it. Don't be casual. It has very um, similar language to what last week when Paul writes, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with humbleness, with awe, with the opposite of being casual and carefree. So we are to hold fast. That's, that's what will make your life beautiful. That's what will transform your life to a kingdom of self who's negative and critical and complaining to a life that's blameless and beautiful and a light that gives a life that gives light and hope for people. Paul finishes by making this personal appeal. There's this friendship, there's a love that he has between um, the believers at Philippi and himself while he's in jail in Rome. He says, verse 17, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. And there's a, a couple words. There's one word that's repeated there, and it's the word rejoice. He's offering a contrast, a life of complaining or a life of light, a life of beauty, a life that's blameless. And he's offering a contrast to how we live. And he says, there's joy, there's a rejoicing that happens when your life is not marked by complaining. You have something that you're living for that's deeper, that's more meaningful than yourself. So that when life gets hard, and it will, you're living for the kingdom of God. You're not living for a kingdom of self. When life gets hard, instead of complaining, there's a confident trust that God is going to take care of you, that God is going to work out this thing for your good. I think it's worth it, and I'm learning, and I've been thinking about this a lot <clears throat> the last few months, that when things go sideways or don't go the way we want or life takes a twist or a turn, even this morning, I was getting coffee, and I kind of wanted to hustle this morning, and I ran into somebody, and I talked to them for 15 minutes, and I wanted it to be like 30 seconds, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this, God. I'm just gonna talk to somebody for a few minutes instead of being complaining. Listen, here's where this other word, um, disputing. I wasn't gonna complain outside, but on the inside, I'm like, you're talking way too much. Stop talking. I got things I gotta do. 
And like, may, maybe I'm trying to think, God brought this person in my life to talk for 10, 15 minutes. Maybe there's just something encouraging I can say and do. So life, we all, I know, I know many of you, and we have things we wanna do during the day. We have things we wanna do with our lives. And I think sometimes God brings detours, those things, to teach us things. And you're missing if all you do is complain. God brought this thing into your life to help you, to reaffirm that he loves you and cares for you. And you're missing it because all you do is complain and you're critical. Maybe you're dating somebody, maybe it's a marriage and things aren't going the way you want and all you wanna do is talk negative about that person. And what I encourage you to do is shift and say maybe this person is here that God has us to help you grow. There's something good out of this. Something positive can come out of this. There's depth and there's beauty and meaning in your life when you slow down and you ask yourself questions about why does God have this in my life versus being quick to complain, quick to criticize, quick to find faults. The message this morning is, is rather simple and clear. Do all things without complaining or grumbling. But it requires thoughtfulness of heart to change. When we look at the gospel, when you look at Jesus Christ, when we sing as we will in just a moment, and we see something more beautiful than yourself, that's how you change. If you're a complainer this morning and you're honest with yourself about that, here's how you change you find something more beautiful than a kingdom of you, and that's a kingdom of Christ. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is more beautiful than a kingdom of self. Let's pray together. Father, I I thank you so much for your word, for the clarity, and I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would work in my heart and in the lives of people in our church that we would see the beauty of your son Jesus, the beauty of your kingdom, and that we would give up the shallowness of a kingdom of self, that we would give up the emptiness of complaining, the emptiness of, of holding grudges and being critical. Father, I pray as we worship that we would do so with open hearts, loving you and loving your son Jesus. We pray that you would grow within us Um, a love for your kingdom and a diminishing love of ourself. We thank you so much in Jesus' name, amen.